and welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheen and I'm joined here this week by my good pal, good friend of mine, Kevin O'Carroll. Kev, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Liam. Thanks for such a, a warm intro. I hope, don't I always give warm intros, no? No, normally it's much more abrasive than that. Well, you know, thank God we're not on uh, camera for this one because you can see just a cold hatred in my eyes. Yeah, it's implied, I know. As I burn a photograph of you with a lighter. <laughs> Today, we're talking about the Nintendo 64. And I have a little bit of a preamble about that, if you don't mind, Kev. Absolutely. I'm just hyper aware of how old we are. Mm. That's, daily. that's all. Daily, daily, yeah. Like, you know, just the way my body feels and all that. But, you know, we're actually, you know, you know, to turn that on its head for a second, we're actually quite young men, I think, Kev. In the grand scheme of things, we have a lot of life ahead of us. Well, in terms Liam, of... I'll stop you there for a second. You're... <laughs> you're... 35 now, right? Are you? Are you Four, thir- you motherfucker. 34, 34. Sorry, okay. excuse me. Excuse yeah. me. I don't know what happened there. That was... I've okay. never been more infuriated. No, go <laughs> So, so not, to, not to dox too many of your public details, but you'll be 35 relatively soon. Yeah, sure. And on, the, on that day that you wake up, the day after your birthday, <laughs> you'll be closer to 70 than you will to being born. Oh, lads. It's not good, is it? No. But sorry, you were saying about how we're not that old. But you've kind of taken the wind out of my sails now. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, we're you know, relatively young men. I don't know. Mm. Maybe we're not. But in terms of pop culture, in terms of video game culture, we are old as fuck, dude. Oh, we yeah. are completely irrelevant. Thank you for everyone who listens to this podcast, because this is a young man's game. Pop culture is a young man's game. Just case in point, Kev, when the internet, like, you know, gaming culture kind of, you know, crawled out of the primordial soup there in the 2000s. And you had people like, let's say, for example, the angry video game nerd or someone like that. Yeah. Kind of creating content around games. And they were making uh, people like him were essentially making content about games that he grew up playing. Like, and that would have been like NES games, you know, back yeah. in the 80s. So that's before our time. He would be, he, so people like him would be older than us. But, you know, if the same equivalent time was put between now and the content creators of now, their console will be the Nintendo Wii. You know, there was, a, there, was the same, <laughs> there was the same amount of time between someone like the angry video game nerd and his childhood, you know, to the NES, as there is for people who are online, you know, making content now to the Nintendo Wii. So we are quite over the hump in that regard. I'm just saying that because we're talking about, you know, a console that was right in the middle of our childhoods, right? This yeah. was, for me, this was quint- quintessential childhood. But I just wanted to kind of get out of the way where, you know, thanks for listening, everyone, because this is some old, old shit we're reminiscing about. You know? Yeah, so we some are. Arrested Development, we haven't grown up, we're still talking about Nintendo 64 games from the fucking mid-90s or late-90s or whatever. Yeah, we are basically two old men sat in the corner of the pub talking all that back-in-the-day shit. Exactly. But before we get to that, uh, what are you playing, Kev? So, I last time we were chatting um, on here, we do speak in real life as well. Are we allowed to say that? Never mind. Um, but the, yeah, the last time I was on here, I was talking about a, an RPG I was playing called Chained Echoes that I was yeah. loving very much and that I had put an inordinate amount of time into. And I was really, really happy with the ending. I thought it's, it stuck the landing. It wrapped it up nicely. It had some really tough sort of post-game content that I did some of and kind of bounced off the rest. But I was, I was finished my time with it. I was happy with it. I was ready to put it down. So I kind of put up the bat signal in our um, podcast group chat, being like, I've just finished this very talky, very involved RPG. I want to play an action game. I want to play a video game-ass video game, just something where I can just mash buttons and kill things and, you know, have a good time. And got some excellent suggestions back from you guys. I uh, think 
like Doom Eternal was floated and um, Sunset Overdrive, which is a really, really colorful, really interesting game. And uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. We were trying to help. Yeah. So like got loads of excellent suggestions and like went looking on Game Pass and looking on P- PS Plus to find this action game that I was going to play. So anyway, I played a game called Venba. That's a 90 minute long visual novel about an Indian immigrant <laughs> moving to Canada. So you listened to none of us. No. You I turned didn't. your back on all our advice and played. And you turned your back on your own advice yeah. as well. Because your brain said, I want something tactile and actiony. And you were like, how about his uh, cute visual novel? Is that what happened? Yeah, basically. Yeah. And it like, is my Lord. wonderful. Oh, it yeah, is can, absolutely lovely. Tell me about it. You know, I hear the term visual novel, Japanese or not. And I'm like, go on. Yeah, it's basically. <laughs> While I browser it's, it, up. It's about the, the titular character, Venba, who is an Indian immigrant uh, living in Canada. It starts off in sort of the late 80s. And it kind of charts uh, her life and her family um, over a span of a couple of decades. And it's basically kind of told through the medium of uh, their culture, a sort of Indian culture and how it clashes with or how it works with the sort of the, the their adopted Western culture in Canada. But it's specifically told through the medium of food, which is really interesting because we did an episode uh, about food yeah, in video no, games recently. What bad timing for you, Kev. You could have you could have jumped in with an amazing example. Yeah. So basically the way it works is that like every chapter of the game is sort of centered around a significant moment in Venma's life and specifically around a meal at that time. Cool. So it plays out as a visual novel where you're like you're um seeing these conversations between her and the people around her sometimes it's done through like um texts on her phone sometimes it's it's dialogue um but it all centers around like each one is a little mini game of you constructing the meal that goes with that significant life event Mm. um and it's just it's really really beautiful uh animation lovely art style um really sort of relaxing gameplay as you're sort of layering these complex meals together and then just a really really effective and affecting story told over the top i cannot recommend it enough it was a really good time my one qualm with it is that it is like i said about 90 minutes long it's uh it's an hour and a half and i think they are looking for 20 bucks for it at the moment so it's a tough sell but it's also it's, a, tough. It, it's also tough being an indie developer exactly yeah yeah and now it like it, it is on game pass so no, so you're you not know, bothered by that you got it for free so I, it's, oh yeah you know free asterisks free with a caveat but um yeah, yeah. yeah i like if if anyone hears about this and thinks it sounds interesting like it is it's definitely worth a look it's it's um it's not quite like anything i've played before and it's by the end of it had me in an absolute emotional state so Wow. If, if that sounds like a ringing endorsement, it is. It made me, by the end of that game, the two things that I was motivated to do was text my mom and then cook a meal the next day. So take from that what oh, you will. I love that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. How about you, buddy? What are you playing? Well, do you know when we when we do this podcast, um, we talk to each other about video games? Yeah. You, are you aware? Uh, and, usually. You know, it's always this section of the, of the thing of when we talk about games we're playing and, you know, if we do a kind of a loosey goosey episode where we bring in our own kind of, you know, um, games, it's always interesting to hear what people choose and what they decide to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I'd not only get to partake in the episode, I edit the vast majority of our stuff as well. So I actually end up listening to you guys twice in a way. Yeah. So there a while back, uh, the episode before last, I believe Jonathan and I did an episode on our favorite endings. No, no, nope. That was you and me, Kev. That was and, me. And, and what a cherished memory it was. <laughs> <laughs> between you and my uh, you you and i i think no, if, you we, listen, if you listen carefully uh, you can hear <laughs> liam's editing shears slipping away in the background making himself sound like less of a dickhead no, staying in 
staying in. No, uh, we did an episode on our favorite um, video game main characters, actually, our favorite and, and least favorite. So I was uh, editing that one, and that one, Jonathan talked about uh, Geralt of Rivia. He talked about the main character from um, Cyberpunk. Mm. Um, and I I, um, I talked about Banjo-Kazooie. So I replayed Banjo-Kazooie recently. <laughs> For the first time in years, and I know I'm somewhat of a Banjo-Kazooie wanker, and I'll bring it up in this podcast as much as possible, but I was thinking, I was listening to myself talk about it, and I was like, God, I really like that game. I I haven't played it in about maybe eight years. So yeah, like, you know, coincidentally enough, you know, we're we're doing an N64 episode, so, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to talk about the video game company Rare in the episode, um... But yeah, what I've played recently is Banjo-Kazooie, and uh, I had two thoughts. I was like, is this game for children? (laughs) (laughs) You know? And then my second thought was, that game was perfect. I enjoyed every moment of it, but I have big nostalgia goggles, but I still think it's a fantastic game. And I was playing more multiplayer games than my brother as well. I said last time we were playing uh, Turtles uh, Shredder's Revenge. We finished that. I apologize for not finishing with you, Kev. That's okay. My, my brother and I finished it. Um, the second to last boss in, in that game is um, Krang takes over the Statue of Liberty, and you fight the Statue of Liberty, actually, which is... That's pretty cool. Exactly the kind of nonsense I want. But after we finished that, we were looking for the same, you know, itch to scratch, and mm-hmm. uh, we played a game that you and I played together right in the height of the pandemic when, like, everything was gone to shit. We played uh, Streets of Rage 4. Oh, excellent, yeah. And I hadn't played it since it came out in 2020, and... Um, I'm like the Streets of Rage. Fran- the Streets of Rage franchise is like a huge part of my childhood, especially the second one. And um, I don't know it's weird how your memory kind of you know changes in three years. I was just like, yeah, that was a great game. Of course it was. It was a kind of a cool, loyal blast of nostalgia. But replaying it with my brother, I was actually kind of going, no, this is just like a good game. Yeah. Did you agree? Do you, do you remember being like? Because it's like mechanically really good, and it's so funny like to compare it to Turtles, which is like the exact same genre. Turtles does exactly what it needs to do, but uh, Streets of Rage Four was just better. Like it's crunchier. Like there's more kind of like hidden depth to it. The characters feel different in ways that the Turtles characters don't. And I, I kind of come out at the end of it kind of going, that's not just like a cool little you know revival of a long dead franchise. That's like a very good game. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think actually the, on our last episode, I might have said, and I don't remember <laughs> if, we said, if I said it while recording or not, but I think that. Um, Streets of Rage is a game that's way better than it needs to be and Turtles is a game that is exactly as good as it needs to be I think you did say that actually on the... yeah it's a good line though so we'll leave it in well I, I was editing that and I was just looking at you know Banjo-Kazooie pictures on my phone going mm. yeah like, oh, good point Marcy <laughs> no I ain't like that it ain't like that but yeah again again I've, I haven't like dove into like a major release yet but um, Kevin and I were talking before this um this podcast there. I do intend to have my next big thing I play be Baldur's Gate 3, mm. which is coming out on PlayStation on uh, like, the 6th of September. And Correct, that's yeah. my avenue to play that game is going to be PlayStation. I don't have <laughs> PC means to run that shit. Mm. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get when it comes out, but that's kind of the one I'm building myself towards. Are you going to go for Starfield, Kev? That's the, the other big one that's coming out now? Yeah, I think like um, I have basically been made a widower by Baldur's Gate. Like <laughs> Sarah has been playing it obsessively and is absolutely yeah. loving it. Yeah. Um, she's in the third act now, um, well, so I assume that means there's probably only about sixty hours more to go. Mm. Um, but yeah, so sort of seeing some of it secondhand through her, I'm 
really impressed by it and I am definitely going to play it eventually but I do think I will probably play Starfield first and pick up pick up Baldur's Gate a little bit later on yeah 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 should we rather than talk about um, content, contemporary like exciting new games coming out would we just go right back to the 90s oh yeah let's get real old with it a little uh, insider information our, our um, hey look listen um I was going to call him our leader for some reason. I'm going to go to our Hey Look Listen leader, Morrissey. I don't know why I went for leader, but I went for it. Okay. <laughs> it was, yeah, fuck it. He's lovely. Um, <laughs> he, he, he came up with this idea for the, like, you know, to get some episodes out of kind of going like, let's, you know, talk about a bunch of old consoles and mm. choose our favorite games for them. It's not, ha- it's not something we have to do consistently. We can just do it every now and then. But let's start old school. Let's go back to like maybe the NES or something like that. And then go from there every now and then do an episode that's based around the console. But then you and I were talking about what episode we were going to do this week. And you were like, hey, by the way, this is our 64th episode. Maybe an N64 episode. And after you said that, I was like, well, thanks. You've poisoned my brain. Now there's nothing we can possibly do other yeah. than an Nintendo 64 episode. So we've kind of, we're kind of doing that console idea of, of, of being nostalgic about an old console. But we've kind of you know, maybe skipped ahead. We meant to, we meant to go back <laughs> earlier because I couldn't not i couldn't do an episode that's our 64th episode not make it on the n64 because my brain is broken yeah i kind of i knew what i was doing when i said that um, <laughs> it's basically i had had the thought and my brain is broken in the same way where i probably wouldn't have been happy if we'd done anything else so i thought yeah. i might as well share the misery what i will say is we have done an episode on the game boy as well so we're already doing things a little bit out of order uh, correct so i think it's fine i didn't consider that we also did one before you were on board uh we did one on the nintendo switch so we're just oh, okay. jumping around to Nintendo consoles. Really, those nice. like those I episodes don't... count? Do they? <laughs> do they exist? Even I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. We like, should uh, retroactively just edit me into all of them. <laughs> well said, Liam. <laughs> hey, how about that Banjo Kazooie, Liam? I'm like, yeah, Kev's right. Kev's right. I should do a replay of it. But um, no one cares. No one's listening. Cares about the the structure of our episodes. I just have a little thing in my head where I'm like, oh. <laughs> we should have went back to the NES and then went for the SNES and then maybe the Mega Drive. We've jumped to the N64. And I don't know about you, Kev, but um, I was born in uh, the year of our Lord, 1989. Hmm. My older brother brought into the house video games two years later with the Sega Mega Drive, which was my introduction to video games. So I do have, you know, my first generation was the 16-bit era. Yeah. And I have some of like, you know, classics from that era that are like, you know, Bedrock games. Sonic, Mega Bomberman, Earthworm Jim, Streets of Rage 2, like we were talking about. But if I go back to my era, you know, I, you know, I age a little bit when I was like an older kid. It's PS1, Nintendo 64. Yeah. And if anyone listens to this and if anyone cares to, you know, have memories of the episodes they've already listened to, they probably know that because I talk about shit from that era all the time. It's like the one that's, you know, it's my favorite era. I'm not saying it's the best era of gaming. Uh, it's definitely an exciting one for how transitional it was. Yeah. But you can also say the other side of that coin is that means it's kind of aged really badly as well because it was the first kind of foray into 3D graphics. It was kind of, you know, kind of a lot of um, developers pioneering things, which is exciting, but also kind of can be fraught with, you know, failed experimentation and things that might not have aged well. But um, I was a lucky kid to have the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64, so I wasn't like ripped apart by the, you know, the turgid tedious console wars yeah i remember um my our parents bought us the n64 apropos of nothing like not gonna spill too much into like family details but i I found out later they were very much kind of going ah you know things ahead we need to do something really nice for the kids now 
kind of yeah. thing. So it was, it really was just one of those days where we were like, you know, I think it was the middle of summer. It wasn't Christmas or anything. I was just told, oh, we're, we're going to go down to wherever and we're going to buy a Nintendo 64. And it was the most excited for any childhood. Like, I, sorry, I don't want to like equate it to memories of like holidays or something like that or family moments. I just mean in terms of getting stuff. Because, you know, consumerism, yeah. consumerism, yeah, you exactly. know yourself. Capitalism, yeah. yay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was, it was like it beats any other childhood memory I have of like whatever toys or other video game consoles. I remember just like running up and down the room. Like, <laughs> like you know, like when a dog gets the zoomies? Yeah. I was like that. I was just like, oh my God, what the fuck? What is happening? This is this is absolutely amazing. And it was, I, I played Nintendo consoles in like my cousin's place and mm. my, my best friend pal lived across the road. He had an NES. Uh, but like I said, we were a Sega family. So this was our first foray into N64 and we were going down to buy it with uh, Mario 64, which was, which was the plan. And um, <laughs> to add another kind of uh, wrinkle to this story that I remember, um, the Christmas just gone, I was a huge Toy Story kid, Kev. In the same way that uh, Andy in that movie had like Buzz Lightyear merchandise all over his room, I at the time had Toy Story shit all over my room posters and I had a Toy Story bed cover that if you turned it one way, it was Buzz themed. If you turned it the other way, it was Woody themed. Interesting. And who who do you have facing up normally and who was facing crotch? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just curious. Because my room already had like blue curtains and kind of light blue wallpaper it was buzz up because he had kind of a space kind of dark bluish thing and woody was down at my okay that explains why you were so into deadwood subsequently <laughs> yeah i had woody draped over me as a kid yeah that's why that's how i got into yeah. cowboys but actually, sorry this... you were saying something lovely about your childhood i was trying to this story actually concerns woody the more I say Woody, the more I want to make an innu- innuendo about it, but I'm like hyper aware that I was v- very young in this story, so I don't want to like make it fucking creepy. Although you kind of did that already, didn't you? <laughs> You're welcome. You just went for it, yeah. The Christmas just before, I had um, a really cool Buzz toy. It was like very comparable to the one in the movie. You could press buttons on it and it talked. And I wanted to complete the collection by getting a Woody toy. But um, behind the scenes, my, you know, it's like um, Jingle All The Way with Aaron Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> Turbo Man, they couldn't fucking get it in time for christmas they could not secure this goddamn woody toy so they did a thing you could do where they make it out like it's a letter from santa yeah apologizing to the child so i got that yeah i got that on the day i got the um the letter saying you know i'm so sorry liam you know elves couldn't get you this toy but i've been talking to your parents and uh, they've promised that the next the first time they find this woody toy they're going to buy it for you so my parents went in for that gambit yeah. And on the day where they decided to be really cool to their kids by going, let's just spend an exorbitant amount of money on this new video game console. I went into the shop to buy the N64 and oh, found no. that Woody doll. <laughs> and and we're friend, totally chill about it. I was like already getting the best present ever. And then I became just like, well, you have to get me this as well. <laughs> now that the fucking that was the pact you made with that fucking cryptid who lives up in the North Pole, right? <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> So yeah, what a fucking spoiled little shitty arse I was. But um, yeah, so that day I got the Nintendo 64 and I got Woody. I got Woody when I got the N64 and then I got a Woody doll. Haha, <laughs> ba-bum tish. You like that one? No. <laughs> and I remember playing... I'm going to keep talking for a second. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I remember, I remember playing Mario 64 and being absolutely blown away by it. We've done Mario 64 extensively on this podcast, I feel. Our second ever episode and also... Um, I ranked Mario games recently and all that, and I talked about it there. And I remember playing it 
and just you know getting this my first analog stick if fucking if people can imagine that i'd never used an analog stick before you know this is how kind of you know new and fancy the n64 was and like i was getting the grips of the controls and i just delighted in running around peach's castle but i was too much of a like you know you know a dumb kid and i couldn't figure out how to, how to jump into the paintings to get into the levels but i was so excited to go out and show my friend pa who lived across the road that i got this new cool video game console but unfortunately maybe fortunately for him because it sounds like a good memory some distant cousins were visiting and they were like fucking active and outdoorsy oh no and they were like, let's go climb trees. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm into this now. And just like early into the tree climbing, I went, this is not who I am. And I ran home like Charlie Bucket. I was like, no, I was like, what am I doing? I just I ran home. And when, and when I got home, my older brother had taken up playing it and he'd figured out how to get into the paintings. And he was playing in the first level of a bomb battlefield. And there's like a massive chain jump and it's quaint by today's standards mm. but i've never been walking in that room and seeing that moment and my brother in that level i've never been more blown away by video games graphics and it's like yeah that's kind of embarrassing now with all the things that you know all the achievements that graphics have done but it was like the foray into 3d graphics was astounding and it looked like the most vibrant colorful thing ever and that's kind of you know my early 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 n64 memories yeah, sort of a similar story to yourself in that I would have had uh, Mega Drive first and then uh, N64 came so afterwards. Away. Uh, yeah. Um, and like Mario 64 would have been the first game I played on it as well and absolutely adored it then, still love it now. It's wonderful. Um, but I know exactly what you mean about that, that sort of that first impression, A, of like exploring around Peach's Castle and that alone feeling like this could be an entire game mm. compared to what mm-hmm. I'm used to. And then you do jump into one of the paintings and you see that first level of Bob on Battlefield. And I guess it's because, you know, we were kids, so we didn't know any better. I mean, t- the technology was advancing in real time at the time. So there wasn't really a frame of reference mm. for the sort of leap that we'd seen from the 2D to 3D. But yeah, I remember being like absolutely blown away by it. Just like, convinced that this was the most realistic that computer graphics could ever possibly be like i never would have dreamed in a million years that la noir would only be a couple of years down the road you know <laughs> and i'm not poo-pooing the playstation which obviously had already come out and we played playstation games i hadn't um, but yeah right yeah. right i i think it might be the peripheral as well i think it might be the hardware i think it was the excitement i'm not even joking like the n64 controller was kind of maligned now for such like over design yeah but it was the kind of um the the analog stick of it all <laughs> it was like this is yeah. new this kind of feels new and it was kind of the first time it literally was the first time i stepped into a new generation gaming wise you know and it's always exciting you now and that's the kind of thing i love about you know you know my brain hasn't <laughs> stop me from being bored by a new generation of games yet maybe a little bit more cynical but every yeah. time it's a step up like the playstation 5 was super exciting the, the nintendo switch was super exciting whenever you step into a new generation but that was the first time i'd ever done it I, you go from 2d games to this big 3d thing and it was cool yeah i think that's a really good point actually is that that was for me the first time that i realized sort of the significance of new and different hardware in video games because yeah. up until then i'd only had a mega drive i had a friend who had a snes i'd never played an nes and like even with that friend who had a snes 
in my mind, I was still like, it's weird that his Mega Drive is different to my Mega Drive, but it plays these other games, <laughs> so that's cool. And it was only when like we moved from the Mega Drive to the N64 and the PS1 was obviously out at the time. At that stage, I was like, oh, wait, there, there is this like proprietary hardware that they do different things and there's different games available for them. Um, it's kind of, I think that's when video gaming as a hobby really got its hooks into my brain. Same, yeah. When I was kind of like, so there's these other devices. I must have them all. And what would be your, like, we, like, I don't think we need to go on about Mario 64 anymore. Like, that was the one. But what were your, some of your early N64 games, or, or just in general, what, what were the games that you got that were kind of like, um, they defined the console for you? Yeah, I think the big ones, the big two would have been um, Ocarina of Time mm-hmm. and uh, Lilac Wars or uh, Star Fox Man 64. after my own heart. I love Lilac Wars. I won't call yeah. Star Fox 64 I, on this Irish podcast. I won't do it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That game is called Lilac Wars and the flower girl <laughs> from Final Fantasy VII is called Eris and I will not move on either of these points. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Um, Lilac Wars in particular was a game that I devoured. I played it over and over and over again. I I don't know if I've told this on the podcast before. I've definitely told you about it, Liam. But um, mm-hmm. the first time that I beat Lilac Wars and like not even like getting to the proper ending or like going through alternate routes. Like the first, the very first time I beat Lilac Wars, I was playing it uh, in a small room, sat on an office chair, and I like threw my hands up to celebrate. And the chair slid out from under me, and I smashed my head against the wall and knocked myself <laughs> unconscious. You have told me this. I keep forgetting. Yeah. It's new every time I hear it. My mother heard the bang and came in and found me and like woke me back up. And she was terrified. I was like, "Do I need to bring you to the hospital?" And I was just like, "No, I need to go back to the console. Don't turn it off." Um, I, I I still have like a, a bump on the back of my skull from the where I had the impact, and it was one hundred. Yeah, for yeah. real, yeah. yeah, for sure. It was a, a proper, a proper dent. You have a Star Fox kind of badge of honor. Yeah, yeah. well worth it. Because I know, I know exactly. I don't know if I can recreate it with a hum, but I know exactly what the score screen music is in that game. <laughs> so I just imagine you like lying or sitting unconscious on a chair while this plays at the end of Star Fox sixty four. Oh shit! I called it Star Fox sixty four <laughs> after I swore I wouldn't. <laughs> traitor to the cause damn it that's not what i fought and died for it's actually a good time to speak about it actually i have no values and i i don't believe in anything (laughs) as your listener it's true i am so glad to hear you bring up that one because i um i always consider lila wars um top five and four games and whenever i see a list online or anything like that i'm always shocked that people don't have it higher but it is still 20 fucking thousand years later uh, the best game in that franchise as well, which is why it's kind of, um, I think, one of the kind of, you know, I don't know, best games in N64. But I remember very early on, um, the second game we ever got, actually, Kev, I, I, I've, I've such a good memory for the order of things sometimes. Like, it's, mm. a, it's a skill that cannot be applied anywhere in life. <laughs> but it was my brother's choice because, you know, he's a little bit older than me, maybe yeah. kind of an, ed- an edgier, older kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you ever play Turok Dinosaur Hunter? Oh, yes. Absolutely, <laughs> I did. Yeah, That's a game yeah, I'd completely yeah. forgotten about. Yeah, I absolutely played Turok. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of... Um, I know we'll get to it in a sec, but um, GoldenEye is remembered as being like the, you know, first-person shooters on a console, Yeah, but it don't have a mouse. And it was kind of like, look at this, uh, it's on the N64. But Turok got out the gate first. Mm. 
less celebrated because it doesn't have any multiplayer. But it was uh, based off a comic book series that I'd never heard about okay. um, before or since. <laughs> you know, but um, Turok was a cool game. I don't know. I do not genuinely do not know how well it's aged. Yeah, I that's just what remember- I was going to ask is, uh, have, yeah, you, have I, you gone back to it at all? No, and I, 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 I do have like very clear memories of how misty that game was. Yeah. To hide the draw distance, yeah. The whole some, game was just like shit. yeah, but yeah, but not, yeah, exactly. With no aesthetics, just, <laughs> just kind of. But my main memory of it, and Goldeneye has this as well, is that it was the first time I ever saw like different body damage. Mm. And if you shot an enemy in the leg, he like grabbed his leg and stuff. And most importantly, if you shot him in the throat, he made like, and I was like, yeah, video games. <laughs> this is good this is important but around that time my parents went on um they went to a wedding in london that um us youngins weren't invited to so we were kind of you know whatever and they came back with a load of presents yeah and they came back with a red nintendo 64 controller i was like yeah i've seen this in a magazine that is nice. a cool color yeah and just the most important thing they came back with mario kart 64 oh baby and like, I I have an ongoing theory that your favorite Mario Kart is whichever Mario Kart you played first. I think I, I you can do an imperial ranking of them based on their pros and cons, but I just mm-hmm. think it's not really important because more so than like you know maybe any other franchise. It nah, it's just about wonder, isn't it? It's about like childhood wonder. Yeah. Like I'm not going like I one of my video my big video game hot takes is that my least favorite Mario Kart game ever is the Nintendo Wii one. Do you know the hugely beloved one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I don't love that one, but annoyingly, it's the one that I'm best at. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you see, part of it's just that I'm not good at it, and I'm just bitter. Yeah, I'm you are dog shit also. at it. I'm dog shit at it, yeah. I also think it's just the most annoyingly designed one. It does have Funky Kong in it, though, from Donkey Kong series, so it has a lot going for it. But Mario Kart 64, I was like, oh, I'm not going to fucking dance around it. It's my favorite one to this mm. day. Mario Kart 8, I think, is might technically be the best one, honestly, mm. but... I would argue the case for Double Dash, but yeah. Oh, I'm with you. We'll talk about it when we get to the GameCube <laughs> someday. I love Double Dash. They're my two favorites. But yeah, I'm just thinking like early day N64 games. And here's the thing. I was a PS PlayStation kid at the time as well, and we could be doing an episode on the PlayStation, and I can talk with reverence about all the things that came out on that as well. So I'm not kind of like, you know, turning my back on it. It's just in terms of the Nintendo 64 and these games that kind of changed my life i remember having like for ages we only had like mario 64 turok dinosaur hunter and mario kart 64 which was cool what a little cool little collection and i had multiple controllers so i could play with my friends and then it was the era of like hey i have a friend i had a friend called mark and it was like mark bought that new james bond game it was like what and I, probably at the time, I was like, as a 10-year-old, I was like, mm, movie license games are shit. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> I, don't know if I, I don't know if I'd established that very correct opinion yet. <laughs> I don't know. You, you would have done soon enough, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it wasn't far off it. But um, it, it, it's so funny now, like, to, to circle back to how old we are. People have their, their memories of childhood gaming multiplayer. For a lot of people, it might have been like, you know, the burgeoning era of Xbox Live and playing Halo online with their friends, you know. Yeah. For a lot of kids who are going to grow up now, or I actually don't know what timelines, maybe they are growing up now. They'll look back with utter fondness of playing Fortnite with their kids online. Yeah. Maybe playing 
among us with their friends over the pandemic or something like that. You know, there's always these different eras, you know. I just, my main memory of adoring multiplayer games is a little bit before um, online, which makes me a fucking fossil. It was that sitting down with like four or five of your friends, gathering around after school and playing the N64. And as much as I love Mario Kart, Mario Party, other games we could talk about, it's going to be kind of um, represented by Goldeneye. Yeah. And we did a whole episode on Goldeneye, actually, Kev, <laughs> on this <laughs> podcast. Was it a part of your childhood? Oh, yeah. Massively. Yeah. Massively, yeah. Um, there was a couple of us in my estate growing up who all had N64s and all had Goldeneye. So we'd just go around, alternate going to different people's houses yeah. and just play it constantly. Um, do you think Do you think if you put it into someone's hands now who didn't grow up with it, they'd be like, I can't play this first person shooter. It just like the way it controls is completely unorthodox because like, this is the day before the days before a second analog stick, you know? Yeah. Um, I think if you were to, yeah, if you were to plop a, an N64 controller into their hand and get them to play the original cartridge, they might struggle with it. All right. The version that's gone up on Game Pass in the last year or so is super playable. It's actually yeah. really impressive. Although I don't think that actually has multiplayer. I think that's just the so What's the point? Yeah, I think the I think the <laughs> the version on Switch Online has multiplayer, but doesn't have the quality of life updates. Mm. Um, I, 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 there. I could have said this when we did our Goldeneye episode. I honestly, genuinely can't remember, but why not say it again? I have the very frowned upon opinion that Goldeneye single player is fine. It ain't no classic, in my opinion. That game's a classic because of the multiplayer. Yeah, I think I think the single player, I think the single player is probably a bit better than fine, but I, I, it's definitely not the strongest part of that game by a long shot. Yeah, I, I mean, anyone who tried to argue that the single player was better than the multiplayer would be demonstrably wrong. But I think it's, I think it's better than fine. Would you be more of a perfect dark guy? I do think the single player of perfect dark is better. Yeah, I do think. Yeah, I, I do think I'd perfect dark. Bal- I do think perfect dark balanced that better. What a better time to talk about perfect dark. Um, I think pound for pound, I have fonder memories of playing goldeneye yeah but perfect dark is you know jesus for all intents and purposes it's sequel yeah spiritual sequel you know but i don't know i i I have a feeling i'm pretty sure this is correct that it sold a fraction of what goldeneye did yeah so i like i wonder how many people of n64 age kind of grew up with uh goldeneye but didn't play perfect dark i think it's like almost as good it's an original ip like i said the the single player, I think, is a bit better. It, it kind of the, the recreating um, Bond movies for a video game that Goldeneye did is a, is a cool tone, a cool aesthetic. It yeah. has a great soundtrack, you know, has all these iconic things. But I kind of love the kind of little world that Rare made for Perfect Dark. I love the way it was their own weird thing. It was kind of moody. It was kind of grimy, and you had very silly weapons that you couldn't do in Goldeneye because Goldeneye wasn't like science fiction. So you had a gun that could like shoot through any wall in a, in a level in the yeah. multiplayer map. It was cumbersome to use, but you could absolutely infuriate your friends <laughs> by shooting them through like four walls from the, the, the opposite side of the map and stuff like that. You know, I just think it's a cool game. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, I probably agree with you that the single player in Perfect Dark is, is better than GoldenEye's. Um, but I do think you hit the nail on the head with the sort of the the popularity of the two games. Because like I said, there was three of us within like a 10 house radius with N64s. All three of us had GoldenEye. Um, I was the only one of us who got Perfect Dark and the other guys yeah. like wouldn't even want to play it 
when they came to over to my house because we just want to play more Golden Knight. Because that's a, a shame. Female protagonist as well, right? Uh, yeah, that was absolutely de- not. <laughs> I mean, it probably was part of it, which sucks. Is that, but... is that franchise still coming back, or am I dreaming that? Uh, yes, with like a, an asterisk, or no, with a maybe. I think there is <laughs> technically a Perfect Dark game in development at the moment. I don't know if we'll ever see it. Mm. Um, I don't know where in production it is, but there was an update like a year ago saying it was still multiple years out. And I think, I don't remember the details, I think there's been some some issues with it along the way. So it might be vaporware at this stage. It might just be a license with no product attached. We'll see. I'd love to, I'd love to play one. I think if they're making a new AAA Perfect Dark, I'd be... You know, pretty excited to try it out. I just don't know if we'll ever actually see it. Uh, yeah, they, they had one for as a launch title for the Xbox 360, and yeah. it was soulless and didn't carry the torch of the original. So I had hope that that didn't happen again. But I'd like to get back into that world. Like, I'm not a mega fan or anything, but it's a it's a memorable part of my gaming childhood, and I, I I I'd be gunning for it. There's a there's a YouTube content creator that a friend recommended to me called Elvis the Alien, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, oh, he, he must be a perfect dark fan. And they were like, huh? <laughs> and I was like, that's a perfect dark reference, motherfucker. And then yeah, I, I watched some of his stuff and he referenced it one time, and I was like, yes, I know things that happened before most people on the internet were born. <laughs> it's a it's a true useless superpower. <laughs> you know, what a good time for me to shit out about shit on about rare though. Mm, absolutely rare, rare. Despite you know haven't played anything they've done in like 25 years rare one of my favorite video game um developers of all time they're they're a bunch of affable, affable british lads and uh just uh in the next era the gamecube xbox ps2 era mm-hmm. i can never remember the numbers kev do you have that ability can you remember like uh, this is the uh, gen 6 or gen can you remember i, I can never do that i always yeah. have to like list the consoles i'm really bad at that yeah what i get confused by is like i know technically you know, Gen 1 is like early 70s. That's Pong. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the NES is Gen 3 by that stage. So wow. SNES is 4. So so, so, we're in five, so this so, is 5. So we're on a 5, I think, yeah. So, so if I say, if I reference the next one, it would be Gen 6. Hopefully we're right in that. That'd yeah. be cool. Could be if we figure that. But um, uh, Rare made games exclusively for Nintendo consoles for a good number of years during the late 80s and, and altered 90s. Then it got bought by Xbox. And you can look, oh, they, they're, they're a cool company who made some really cool games. Um, I would always say that their golden era was the Nintendo 64. Yeah. I'm not turning my nose up on the Donkey Kong Country trilogy for the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. They were doing cool things for the Super Nintendo as well. They were probably doing cool things on uh, older consoles that um, not my area of expertise. But man, like obviously Nintendo <laughs> define the N64, yeah. obviously, with Mario and Zelda and Mario Kart and Need I Go On. But the, for me, the next thing that defines the N64 is Rare. Yeah. And we've already talked about um, GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, and especially with GoldenEye. Like I say, that's for a lot of people as well. Rare would kind of define the N64 because GoldenEye is the central kind of pillar for a lot of people's N64 collections. Oh, 100%, yeah. But I really, like, um, I'm not going to go on about it because I talk about it too much. <laughs> Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie, right? Seminal, in my opinion. The old guard, they didn't get any proper games after those two. They got a couple of misguided sequels, but that's absolutely that, like they were as good almost as what Nintendo are putting out. You got games like Donkey Kong 64, you got weird games like Blast Core mm-hmm. and Jet Force Gemini that yeah. I might kind of have, you know, retro 
nostalgic goggles on. They, like, they're not great, but God, they were like doing really kind of like weird, cool stuff. And you, and then you, of course, you have the tail end of the N64. You have Conqueror's Bad Fur Day. Yeah. I just think that's such a good partnership. Like Nintendo and Rare, like Rare were giving Nintendo like gold on that console, which is why all these years later, I know there's a big thing now, you know, in the last few years about Bethesda being bought. Yeah. I've never been more heartbroken (laughs) when a partnership ended. Like there was, before that, there was the infamous Squaresoft and and, uh, Nintendo. Yeah. You know, big bust up. Bust up, exactly. But I've never been more heartbroken. It wasn't that I was anti Xbox or anything like that. It was just. Yeah, it was like it was like the end of an era. And although I could have been anti Xbox because Xbox ran them into the ground, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they, that's what they, I, they never utilized them. That's what I was going to ask. Is like because I like the 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 current gen is my first time owning an Xbox console, so I have no history with them whatsoever uh, with their exclusives. Did Rare do? Were there any like like Xbox? gems in the rare back catalog or was it all kind of a, a decline you're going to embarrass yourself you're, you're going to embarrass yourself here kev because obviously you forgot about rare's xbox classic grabbed by the ghoulies oh um yeah how how embarrassing for me <laughs> right so they they finished their last game they ever made on nintendo console was Star Fox adventures for the gamecube okay which was which was originally a game called dinosaur planet actually until uh and it had like two feline protagonists until shigeru Miyamoto came in and went you should make that Star Fox." and i don't think anyone wanted to do it but shigeru Miyamoto said so so yeah you it. don't argue with Miyamoto. <laughs> they finished out their whatever you want to call it contract on that and that was like but you know the last game they made a game called grab by the ghoulies that made zero waves i don't know if it's good i haven't played it Okay. What ended up happening, Kev, is like in the kind of uh, landscape of gaming then, you know, going into the kind of 360 mm-hmm. and stuff like that and the P- PS3, uh, I don't know if Rare had a place, you know? Yeah. The most notable thing they did was a, a couple of games called uh, uh, Viva Pinata. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And they were, I think they were well-liked. And oh, they made a game called Cameo. Do you remember that? It was a 360 launch game. Nope. Fantasy kind of thing where she could turn it. She 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 was an elf girl who could t- turn into different monsters. Yeah, it's such a shame you don't remember these. And I'm being genuine because you know, yeah, these like ideas might have just like slotted better into Nintendo's library at the time. You know. Yeah. So after a couple of you know liked games that didn't sell well, like Microsoft just did not know what to do with Rare. So when we get further up to the Nintendo Wii. And that changed everything. Um, they basically put them on Connect games. Okay. So if you if you see games like Connect Sports or anything that's kind of you know, that that was that's what Rare was doing. Ugh. And yeah, I know it's such a crying shame, but yeah. luckily, even though I looked it up one time online, there's no one working at Rare now who were there during my childhood. So if I if I go, when is when is this team going to like you know do this or like make a new banjo, make a new conquer? No one is there from that era anymore. It's like a whole new company. You know, the, the two, the, it was owned by two brothers and they left. But luckily, at least they're doing something cool now because Sea of Thieves is very well liked, I believe. And that's basically Rare's main thing these days, right? Yeah, yeah. And they got that um, that Monkey Island update for yeah. Sea of Thieves. Is that out or coming out? I don't know what the story that is. I don't, I don't know. I think it's coming out. It's really weird to see like a, you know, my beloved Rare <laughs> team up with my beloved Monkey Island. That was a kind of a cool, I don't have a, uh, an Xbox one will be playing it, but, but it was a cool, it was a cool little thing. But sorry, I kind of overshot the N64 there as a topic. But yeah, 
they define it for me anyway, like in the same way that um, you go to the next next gen up to the GameCube. It's for me, it's Nintendo and Capcom. Yeah. They were like the they were the two making the best games for the N sixty four. It was Nintendo and Rare. What a what a what a double act. What a, what a bunch of absolute classics. Yeah. So um, I suppose the the other or one of the other big franchises that emerged in the the sixty four was Smash. Were you? I know you you subsequently were a big Smash guy. But were you into Smash sixty four? That come later. Kev, how dare you? I was <laughs> ground floor. Day one, Smash Brothers fan. I remember looking I through magazine. I remember. Did you know? Yeah, I was I'm gonna, sorry. I'm going to set you up. <laughs> Thank you. I remember looking at magazines and going, "What? What? Huh? All my favorite characters in one game." And it's funny looking back now because I didn't even know who Samus was. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know who Kirby was. Weirdly enough, I missed Kirby. I remember being in my cousin's house and playing, and he, and and they were showing me a game on the Super Nintendo, which I didn't have. So it was always exciting to played a Super Nintendo because I had a Mega Drive and um, it was a 2D game but you could go left and right you know you didn't have to you weren't just moving what? and I was like I was like what this is exciting and then and it wasn't until years later I realized that they were showing me Super Metroid I'd never made that connection of what it okay. was I, I, yeah I, I didn't know what I was looking at so I didn't know who Samus was but yeah I love Smash Bros 64 it's so quaint I think it plays very well to this day but I cannot even begin to describe how exciting it was as a game um even though i didn't even know all the characters oh in terms of secret characters i had no idea who ness was or captain falcon yeah but that happens to this day man there's like people who like learn who characters are through smash brothers especially, yeah. with, especially with like random dlc characters in a new one like people the kids don't know who terry bogart is they probably don't know banjo kazooie are i love this idea of people learning characters from smash because it happened to me in next generation on the gamecube I didn't know what Fire Emblem was. And there's like two Fire Emblem characters, Marth and Roy. And I was like, who are these characters? Smash Brothers has always been this kind of cultural epicenter for games. Yeah. The N64 one for me is second only to Melee on the GameCube in terms of how many hours I put into it. I was obsessed with it, Kev. Obsessed. Mm. I loved it. Yeah. Did you, did you hear that um, Obama apparently is a, a big Smash <laughs> 64 fan? <laughs> I'd love to play him. Yeah. It's, there's um, some... Who, do, who does he mean? Uh, yeah, so that's basically the story is that some, like, I think a kid on like a Make-A-Wish thing got a visit to the White House to hang out with Obama. And while there, apparently Obama booted up Smash 64 and he mains uh, Falcon and he is apparently decent. I would, I'd try, I'd try my hand. Who do you mean? I, I don't, I, it, it, this is going to sound like the most obnoxious thing. <laughs> I, I main Smash 64. Just give me yeah, a if you put me on 64 or Melee and they're the only two. If you go to Brawl or anything after that, I can. If you put me on Melee or 64, it's what we're talking about. I will beat you with any character. Well, I mean, you beat me in any of those games <laughs> with any characters because um, I'm, I'm, I'm not good. <laughs> yeah, no. What, 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 it, it, the less obnoxious way I should have phrased that was I could play as them all. And 64, there's only 12 characters, and I, I, I got good with all of them. I never really subscribed to this um, pick one character in a fighting game and yeah. get good at them. I absolutely understand that's probably, if you're playing competitively, that's probably the best way to do things, right? 100%, but, yeah. But I absolutely understand why people would, that could be a fun way to glomp onto a fighting game. It's just kind of, you know, but with those games anyway, I used to love playing as everyone. But, you know, I used to think I was really good at Smash Melee until the internet happened and I saw people <laughs> play it online and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm not even kind of good. People have like ripped, people, people have ripped this game open, open and like figured out its secrets. But, um, I could play as any. I probably wouldn't. Like, if you chose your character for me, I'd probably be going like, don't say Jigglypuff. Yeah. 
but I, I could I could try my best, you know. Nice. I remember um, I was a big Pokemon fan in this era, Kev. Yeah, which is it was something that didn't continue for me. Mm. I'm a Pokemon admirer. I'm a Pokemon Pokemon Pokemon. <laughs> I'm a Pokemon. No, I'm a Pokemon. I'm an understander of people's love for Pokemon. Yeah. I just I'm, really I'm, feel a, I'm, I'm a Pokemon want betterer for them. <laughs> I I completely understand just the general appeal and why it's as big as it is as well. It's kind of one of those lightning in a bottle perfect ideas. I understand the vibes what people get from it, but it kind of left me a long time ago. But in this era, I was a huge Pokemon fan, and as um. It was a. Uh, there were GameCube games. Or sorry, excuse me. There were Game Boy games at the time. You know, there were um, Pokemon Red and Blue. But Pokemon Stadium came out mm. in Nintendo sixty four. Now it didn't have any of the RPG elements. This was just about Pokemon fighting. But Kev, they were on the big screen. You could put them onto oh, yeah. your television. They were three D graphics. It was huge. They had a thing called. They made a fucking peripheral for it called a transfer pack. That yes. you could just you could stick the Game Boy cartridge into it and connect it to your N64's controller, and you could transfer your characters from the Game Boy into the N64. This for me was a huge deal. And if I look back on N64 now, I'm not really thinking about Pokemon Stadium as one of like the best things that happened. Yeah. A lot of people would think that. But at the time, I was so excited to the point where the night before I was getting it. Why do I reveal how much of a massive fucking dork I was? I mean, you got to go full, full <laughs> bore, both barrels. I was so excited about the next day. It was like the weekend. Uh, school was over and I was getting Pokemon Sandy the next day as a present, I remember. I wonder if it was my birthday. I cannot remember. But I um, <laughs> I booted up Smash Brothers 64 and I picked uh, a four-player match of Pikachus and Jigglypuffs. I put the stock on 99 and picked Saffron City, the Pokemon-themed level. Yeah. And just played a Smash Brothers fight with only Pokemon team shit for about two hours. Because <laughs> I was just like, I, I, this is the best I have right now. <laughs> this, is, this is the best N64 Pokemon I can create myself. For now. In un, 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 less than 12 hours, I'd be get the real thing. But I was, I wish I could be as excited for as anything in my adulthood as I was excited for getting Pokemon Stadium. Yeah. It was just like a huge... I didn't even have... Uh, I emulated Pokemon Red and Blue, Kev. That's a kind of a dirty secret I have. I never had... Um, really? A cartridge, so I never got to use it. I, I own a transfer pack. I never got to use it. it came with really? the game. Yeah, I never got to stick an old cartridge in and get my Pokemon. So you were, then, you were emulating Pokemon at the time. Yeah, interesting. Sure. Ah. Game Boy games are always super easy to emulate, so it was, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just I, I think just the idea of emulating came to me much later in life. So it kind of. I think it was more just like you know you, you know when you're a kid you can only get certain games. Yeah. You know, a certain time. Sorry, I mean, certain times. You know, birthdays and Christmas. I just remember uh, Pokemon Mania was in full effect, and I was just like, I need this game, and I found an avenue to get it on on computer. Yeah, but I kind of that means I kind of missed out on all the the trading as well. That never happened for me. Okay, yeah. And when I played Pokemon Stadium in N sixty four, you don't get to transfer your own characters, and you get to choose from any of the hundred and fifty, but they're all just like level fifty base. Okay. Um, Pokemon. That's how it works. Yeah. That game had a ton of shit mini games as well, and that's that's my last memory of that. Really bad mini games. Yeah. Did you um? Did your Pokemon Mania extend to Snap as well? I never played it. Have you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I used to love it actually, and I, I'm not sure why. But I'm I'm see to go back to what I said a second ago. Like there was only you had to you had, you had to choose your games. Yeah. You know, birthdays and Christmases come around. You had to choose things, and there was games on the N64. That I would have loved that I was following extensively in the magazines I collected. Um, bring it up briefly: Kirby and the Crystal Shards, mm. 
is a game to this day I haven't played, and it's one I really wanted. Yoshi's Story, yeah, which is actually only kind of okay. I remember renting that one and finishing it in one playthrough because it's like an hour and a half. Yeah. But these are all games that I wanted, but I probably chose something else. I remember I had a PlayStation as well. There's a lot of games you have to choose, you know? And Kev, I was dying to play Pokemon Snap, but I let it slip through my fingers. And I still, I haven't even emulated that one. I haven't played this that game to this day. Is it on Switch? It might be. I think it's on the Switch Online, yeah. What's the vibe with it? Um, just, <laughs> just like there's a Pokemon. Click, click, on, <laughs> click, click on the Pokemon. <laughs> you were selling it. Yeah, <laughs> I really, I really don't know how to sell it any better than that. It's, it's just very chilled out. You look at some Pokemon. You take pictures of the Pokemon. I, and That's that it. sounds lovely. That sounds absolutely lovely to me. I, I watched the uh, making of it on YouTube recently, actually. Um, oh, cool. Game, Game Explained it. And uh, it wasn't originally. They, they added the Pokemon IP to it on it late enough in the production, which was interesting. Really? That is interesting. Yeah. It was meant for the N64 DD. Yeah. Will we talk about hardware for a second? Do. Yeah. The N64 was a weird beast. It was. <laughs> it was a very strange one. Just uh, something I brought up there. The N64 DD was uh, planned. Actually, I say planned. It came out in Japan, I believe. Yep. It was uh, never got a release outside of uh, outside of Japan. It was an add-on to the N64 that was disc-based. Am I right, Kev? Yep. It was a, 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 an external disc drive that would attach onto the, the 64. Yeah. And it kind of... Um, came and went in japan so it didn't get any kind of release outside and projects that were meant for it like a little game i like to think about called the legend of zelda majora's mask Mm -hmm. was originally meant for the n64 dd until it had to be um uh, transferred over to the 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 regular n64 but that's the thing about the n64 and its hardware was it was a hugely controversial choice from nintendo to continue with cartridges yeah because this was exciting. It was new cutting-edge CD-ROMs. Sony were like... <laughs> well, I was going to say, clever? Yeah. Smart. Shrewd. <laughs> Shrewd. Perfect to use CD-ROMs. Uh, I, 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 I keep hearing different things. I think one of the reasons Nintendo wanted to stick with um, cartridges was um, to avoid piracy. Yes, yeah, it, will, it was definitely an anti-piracy measure was definitely part of it. And it kind of cost them a lot. Yeah. Uh, that's why the N64 games were more expensive to purchase. Uh, they, they were, these things were more expensive to produce. You know, uh, Someone like Squaresoft turned their back on their old bodies because they were like, we can't make our new vision on your flimsy little cartridges. Yeah. But the N64 for me, a big part of it is just all the little bits you could stick into it. Kev. Yeah, yeah. That controller that we mentioned earlier, like from uh, like an ergonomics design standpoint <laughs> is a nightmare. It's it's like a, it's it's a a three way dildo with buttons in all the places where you wouldn't expect them. <laughs> don't it, don't describe the three way dildo. Well, you know what I mean. It, <laughs> I'm not saying you have to My use childhood. it as well. <laughs> um, but, actually, actually, having played Banjo Kazooie recently, Kev, I played it on the old N64. I busted it out. Okay, I would say it's so funny to hold an old cons- uh, uh, controller and how flimsy it feels. Mm. I'm just like, oh my god, is this? Is this degrading with age? And then I forget that there's just so much more going on in the modern controller that they're just heavier beasts. The N64 feels so toy-like by comparison. Such a little flimsy thing. Yeah. And it's just like all the buttons are at weird angles and they're different colors and different (laughs) sizes. And there's very little sense to the whole thing. And 
you like because it has three handles and your analog stick is on the middle over the middle handle and your d-pad is over the left hand one you yeah. can't you either have to like arch your hand across it to reach the analog stick and still be able to get back to the d-pad or give up on the d-pad and hold the two middle controllers like some kind of psychopath what was your preference were you uh, were you a stretchy grip or a middle one? oh god no who does that i, I was actually like contorting in fear about anyone who would do it because despite nintendo's innovation and their capacity for innovation there was something very yeah innovative about the n64 controller in theory but it was also kind of limited there was a lot of things basically they, they were like if a game uses the analog stick it won't have to use the d-pad yeah that's kind of how the design worked but you know, you can use a D-pad and analog stick in tandem uh, very easily, <laughs> you know, by, as we know by any other controller. It was such a limited thing. So the point was that you, 90% of N64 games, you'd be holding the middle handle and the right one. Mm-hmm. But if, uh, you know, a 2D game or something like that, you could reach over and press, you know, and, and use the two outside handles and use the D-pad, but not both. Yeah. It's weird. And the C buttons on it were made for camera control and they were made specifically for Mario 64. That's something I always find so fascinating is that they, they were making yeah. that 3D game and they were like, we need to be able to control the camera as well. We have this full range of motion on this analog stick and we need something to be able to control the camera opposite the movement of the analog stick. Yeah. And the fact that they sort of over-engineered the response to have like a second set of directional buttons on the right side to control the camera rather than making the logical jump of well the camera could be on a stick as well as became the norm on every other controller for every generation yeah. since the nintendo approach was no we're going to put some extra buttons on there and they'll figure it out i i will i will play devil's advocate and say that when other companies like sony when they made the dualshock decided to make a right analog stick they might have done that by looking at the C buttons and going, that's a good idea, but we can do better. Yeah. yeah the C think, buttons are a stepping stone kind of thing, you know? I think that's fair. Yeah. And they made use of it in other ways, like uh, in, in that it gives the controller a lot of buttons. Mm-hmm. But if something then like Ocarina of Time, where they use it, you know, very cleverly, so you can assign many of Link's different items to C buttons. Yeah. And what happens then? There's no camera control. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know? <laughs> and in FIFA Road to the World Cup, you could use the top C button to professional foul and kick people in the balls. It's a good time. <laughs> wow. That's an N64 fact I didn't know. Yeah. One of the very few um, games I owned that was um, that I exclusively played without the analog stick, I, I held... Actually, do you have any? Do you have any games that you just like never use the middle thing i think almost every game used the middle handle right yeah i'm trying to think i don't i don't think so nothing's coming to mind anyway it's, i always hold it up as kind of you know everyone has that weird game that you know not a lot of people had i'm not mm-hmm. saying i'm such a unique boy that like this game has a following it has a niche following i'm not like i'm not like that unique and cool but i didn't know anyone who owned it when i was a kid it was um it was a kind. I was brought to the game store on my birthday, and I could choose anything I wanted, and I chose it based only on the, the cover of the box. And my brother was like, "No, don't judge games that way. <laughs> you don't. That's not how we." Buy. And I was like, "No, I like it. Uh, it, and I will always stand up for it." It's a cool game called Mischief Makers. Okay, I, it's not ringing bells. Are you? No way, right? You play as um, a robotic anime girl called uh, Marina. <laughs> and uh, okay. it's, a, it's a, in, in an era where everything was going 3D, this game dared to be a 2D platformer with um, 
these at the time very kind of cool lush uh, 2d graphics and uh, marina's main power kev is that she could grab things and shake them okay so you used to grab things and then press down on the d-pad a couple of times and she'd go shake 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 and you could like you know rob jewels out of people uh, enemies and stuff like that and it's made by i was gonna say one of my favorite developers not really but a developer i always love hearing about because they're cool they're called treasure hmm. who haven't made anything in ages but they are like one of the quintessential japanese video game developers just doing their own thing terminally despite you know profit yeah or like making successful games and it's just this really cool game that i very proudly 100 presented and it's like 20 something years later and every anytime i hear like what's the game that you you know put all the time in and this is far before the era of achievements or trophies i was like whenever i hear that in my head i'm always like it was mischief makers <laughs> that was hard you had to get through levels without getting hit and stuff like that yeah i just really like I don't know, really. <laughs> I'm actually a little bit sick and you haven't heard of it. Yeah, I'm just looking it up there and <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at images and it's not ringing any bells. That's that's wild. It was mad obscure. I might have been the only person in Limerick who owned it. Mm. Maybe Ireland. Maybe Europe. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. That's, a lot. that's a lot of people. But it was, uh, it's the only it's the reason I brought it up was, well, you know, I was planning on bringing it up anyway because it's a really weird n64 game but the reason i brought it up is because it's the only one i can remember owning that you had to hold the two outside <laughs> the two outside handles on the n64 controller it's such a weird defining part of the n64 that it had a weird controller but it also had um a hole in its back that you could slot things into yeah yeah that's where the memory card went although a lot of games did not use the memory card uh, unless they were like whatever data they were saving were particularly um yeah because that's kind of the big advantage of the cartridges is that they, exactly, they could have yeah. native yeah. they have like physical memory on the cartridge i remember to swing back to the dinosaur boy turok dinosaur hunter 2 yes we had that as well yeah. it had a weapon the cerebral boar which fired out when and latch onto enemies' heads and suck their brains out of their head. And I was like, yeah, good video game. This is great stuff. But that was one of the ones I remember requiring um, memory cards for whatever. Mm. I don't know why, what, what, what they needed to save. But we talked about Lilac Wars already, Kev. Do you remember getting Lilac Wars? Did you have it in its massive oversized box? Oh, yeah. Because it came with the Rumble the Pack. The Rumble Pack. I don't think we can talk about the N64 without going on about how it was the first console that allowed you to rumble. <laughs> Something that was... Uh, completely taken for granted these is yeah and it was revolutionary and you talk about the n64 controller like feeling light and flimsy not when you put that rumble pack on it it's huge it's like unreasonably huge yeah. it's, <laughs> it's 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 a it's the engine of a medium-sized vibrator just strapped yeah. onto the back of the controller and yeah. it was revolutionary i was i had a friend i had a friend and just because he liked doing it it didn't give him any gameplay benefit at all. Whenever you play Goldeneye, not, not whenever, mm. sometimes, enough that it's lodged in my memory and I think it's very fucking charming, to be honest. Yeah. When he was reloading his guns, he used to stick, take out the rumble pack and then put it back in so he could feel, <laughs> so he could feel like he was loading the, gun, loading the controller. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's very endearing. It is very endearing. Let's not forget, to, to keep talking about the controller, that um, Nintendo were very pro gun crime <laughs> that was a weird joke that was a weird way to put that they put like a trigger on the on the controller 
the Z button yeah. is maybe one of the most unique buttons ever put onto a controller. Like um, triggers on, on an Xbox 360 controller, or you know, like you know, uh, shoulder buttons are you know dime a dozen. Mm. But that weird middle tr- Z trigger on Den 64, perfect for shooting a machine gun in Goldeneye, or or doing a ground pound as Mario in N64. What a, do you know what? This is completely coming out of nowhere. I rank it as my number one favorite controller button of all time. Oh yeah. Why not? I haven't, given, I'm just, I haven't, I'm given just it getting nostalgic any, about it. Yeah. I haven't given it any thought whatsoever, but <laughs> on the basis of that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. It's just a, a really weird thing. And it, it, they kind of, maybe that's why my friend liked to load the rumble pack in and out of the controller, because it added to the already aesthetic feeling of it being a gun because it had a trigger on the bottom of it. Yeah, you know? true. It does have, it does have center, toy gun feeling. All right. It does have a toy gun feeling, yeah. But is there um, any other games that might be on your mind with our darling Nintendo 64? I think, yeah, the only other one that's worth dwelling on for a minute for me, I think, is, and it's one we've mentioned already, but um, uh-huh. uh, Majora's Mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My I, favorite game of all. It's my favorite game of all time. Yeah, that's basically what I was going to say. Is, is that like the Ocarina of Time and Lilac Wars would have been the two ones that defined the N sixty four for me in my childhood. Um, I actually uh, a couple of years into having the N sixty four, our house got robbed and mm. took ages for the insurance to clear off the back of it. And by the end of it, I had convinced myself that I wanted a PlayStation instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never actually owned or played Majora's Mask at the time. I played it on the the anniversary edition thing that came for the GameCube. Um, Very cool. So that was when I first played it, and it absolutely blew me away. It, it like I know you're you're quick to say that it is your favorite game of all time. It's I'm not saying it's the best. I'm saying it's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's it's up there for me as well. It's it's an mm. absolute masterpiece. Um, in preparation for this episode today, like only a couple hours ago, I sat down, turned on the Switch, and went onto the Nintendo Switch online with the idea of playing 10 or 15 minutes of five or six different games yeah. from the N64 library to just sort of get myself in the headspace to talk about it. And I just played the opening hour of Majora's Mask Really? And when we finish recording, I'm probably going to go back and keep playing it. I, Hold on, I think, is I, this happening? I think I think I'm probably just doing a Majora's Mask playthrough now. And Love this. I am delighted with it. That um, that's the thing. Like we're 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 kind of beginning to wrap up here, but uh, you know, we don't need to talk about Ocarina of Time, right? It's just huge. We've covered it in the podcast extensively. Yeah. Obviously, that's a big one. But um, Majora's Mask for me remains like the golden child of the 64 because it allows you to kind of say something that's hyper popular as well mm. but also be kind of hipstery about it yeah which is the exact angle i like and you know that needed um to talk about more things you had to like slot into your nintendo 64 that required an expansion pack yeah like. yeah and i actually think i owned every game that required it what it did ladies and gentlemen listening is it actually upped the graphical cap. It wasn't even the graphical capability of N sixty four. It was the memory, yeah. I believe. Yeah, it's just the, the available memory. Yeah. Yeah, so you could run more kind of you know complex games. Majora's Mask, Donkey Kong sixty four, and Perfect Dark. If there's another one, I can't remember right now. Mm. And I remember getting it with. It came shipped with Donkey Kong sixty four. Yeah. Just uh, just bef- before before we go, I'm just trying to think because I so many games on. Although I will say there were so many games on the N sixty four, but um. The PlayStation had the more extensive library, yeah. for sure. It had more 
things for everyone but like god damn the amount of classics without it like and we didn't even dwell on some big ones like ocarina when he touched on mario kart for a second but like just for a sec i just want to list out some things like some of my favorite childhood gaming memories are mario party uh that was a huge thing for me and my friends growing up and the best thing about mario party is how bad it is and i don't really mean i know no i don't really mean bad bad i mean how as a because it's a board game with yep. mini games attached to it but how what the best thing about it is how just shockingly unfair it can be oh it's cruel it's cruel and it, and, and the cruelty the cruelty of it is the best part of it i like i like genuinely like we when, when we got when we were older and we were like you know drinking and stuff of like that I remember my friend used to have kind of a house out in the country and the plan was it was out in Kilkeekev. Um, mm. But um, we used to go out and drink in the, his house sometimes, and then we'd, we'd pre-drink there and go into Kilkee town for a night out after. And I used to bring the N64 and Mario Party, and we used to play drinking games based around Mario Party. Like, there's something about the charms of it continued as we got older, and the utter unfairness of it <laughs> is one of the big parts of it. Yeah. How you could be winning for the entire thing, yeah. and then the game will just completely fuck you over. I wouldn't change anything about that. And I'll hand to God admit, I haven't been keeping up with the Mario Party franchise. It's still going strong to this day, but I hope they've kept that element. And if someone says, why don't they just make these games more fair? I think you've missed the point. Yeah. <laughs> my My main and abiding memory of Mario Party is playing it with you and some mm. other friends in London. Yes, we're playing a, a Japanese version and, of Mario Party 3. Yeah. And, yes. And I yes. was significantly in the lead for a large chunk <laughs> up until basically the last round. And I think I ended up coming dead last. And <laughs> yeah. And I tried to not let it affect the rest of the holiday. But if I'm being <laughs> honest, like there was a tinge of that in the back of my mind for the rest of our stay there. You gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. Not not too recently. No, sorry. Too, uh, recently enough is what I meant to say. I meant to say the opposite. I meant to say not too long ago. Uh, I played it with Jonathan from mm-hmm. the podcast and, and our friend Pat. We played online Switch. We played Mario Party 2. Oh, cool. And it was this, it was the same thing. I was having the worst game. Sorry, this is, <laughs> I'm going to be such an asshole here because I'm doing the complete opposite energy. <laughs> I, had, I had the worst game of my life. It was all going wrong. And then in the last five minutes, I won because it gave me some random stars. Oh, you won the most mini games. You, had, you at one point held the most coins. You landed on the most green question marks. I was like, thanks. <laughs> thanks for letting me win. I was losing for all that. But I love that shit. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I would never change anything. And I think it's kind of like Mario Kart as well. I'm sure there's many, many like great Mario Party games, but I don't know if I was putting the time in to play Mario Party now, mm. I think I'd also want that nostalgic poke and I want to just go back and play my ones from the N64, you know? Yeah, for sure. But I want to give a brief shout out as well to, as well to another game that I adore called Mystical Ninja starring Goemon. Oh, yes. Oh, good. You know Yeah, it. yeah. I, that's a game that I <laughs> haven't thought of in multiple decades. That was great. Oh, yeah. It was one of those. I never owned it, but it was one of those games I might have rented mm. enough times that my parents might as well have just me bought, bought it for me. They might, they might have saved me some money. But that was a goofy-ass Japanese game. It's kind of Zelda-like in its structure. It had, like, dungeons and kind of uh, villages and overworld. It wasn't as good as a Zelda game, but mm. it had this absolutely mental aesthetic. Uh, very Japanese. Amazing soundtrack. I'd put it up there with uh, the aforementioned Mystery Makers in terms of just games that I look back on and going like, yeah, not one of the best games ever made, but uh, absolutely fantastic. And I own, it's very near me in the room right now, my 
friend Pa, who I've managed to bring up like multiple times on this podcast, on this episode, because, you know, he's honestly so linked to my memories of the N64. Yeah. Uh, he brought me back a Japanese copy of it from Japan, which I own, which is like a super cool thing that I really, I really like owning. I, I, I still have it wrapped in its plastic. I have this uh, copy of Goemon from, from Japan, which is like one of my favorite gaming um, collector's items that I have. Yeah. Awesome. I think this podcast will end and I'll be like, oh no, I didn't talk about this. I didn't talk about this, but do you have anything else for, about the NTC War? Um, yeah, I suppose, don't need to dwell on them, but just a couple of games that I loved. Um, 1080 Snowboarding Yeah, was a banger. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever play Clay Fighter, 63 and a third? Yeah, it's shit. It's, You're going to say it's good? It's shit, but I love it. I have okay, super, fond, super fond <laughs> memories of it. I'm well, what fo- do you think... What do you think of the naming? Because a lot of games back then were called something something in sixty four. Did you chuckle as a child at sixty three and a third? Um, I think, <laughs> I think not. I, I don't think I had seen like Naked Gun at the time, so I don't know if I would have been into the joke. But yeah, um, yeah, I love that one. Fully admitted, it's shit. There was a couple of Star Wars games. Um, uh, oh no! You can do this. Shadow of the Empire? Yep. No, that's a, that's a novel. Oh, is that what it's called? Shadows of the Empire, maybe? Shadow of the Empire? Yeah, I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. Launch title. Mm, yeah, and that was fantastic. And uh, we mentioned it as well. Uh, Yoshi's Story was yeah. a real home there. Um, Game was tr- cute. Yeah, I'm trying to think, was there, like, what were some... Wave, Wave Race 64, did you ever play that? No, actually, that's that's exactly what I was going to go on to, is that there was a couple of titles that I think would be considered classics by other people that I never touched off. Wave Race would be one of them. Um, F-Zero, uh, F-Zero I've X. I've never it? played it. I've never played F-Zero uh, X for the N64. I've only played the GameCube one. Yeah. And now we're just listing games. Uh, Pilot Wings, you ever played that? Pilot Wings, that's a good one, yeah. We are just yeah. listing games. Now we think... I th- yeah, I think this isn't really... Diddy Kong Racing. So I, I, Diddy, you, hold on. You don't like Diddy Kong Racing. How, how, how could you talk about it? I don't dislike Diddy Kong Racing. I just think it's not as good as Mario Kart. It's still good. Or you don't think it's good as Crash Team Racing either on the other side. True, correct, yeah. That's that's factually accurate, yeah. Can't believe I didn't bring up Diddy Kong Racing when I was um, waxing lyrical about Rare, actually. That's kind of an oversight. Diddy Kong, the, the worst thing about Diddy Kong Racing is that the soundtrack has so many absolute earworms mm. that I can't just live my life without them anymore. <laughs> I'm just doing something. I'm walking somewhere. I'm whatever. And a track from Diddy Kong Racing will come into my head. And unlike other games like Banjo-Kazooie and Majora's Mask and Mario 64, whatever, I haven't consistently played Diddy Kong Racing for the last 20 plus years. I really have it. I don't know. I, ha- I have it over there in this room I'm in right now. Yeah. I don't know when the last time I put that in and played it. It's like, you know, part of my childhood, but not one I carried with me. So why is the soundtrack still in my head? It's just almost too catchy, the songs, to an annoying degree. That's my main. That's my main opinion about Diddy Kong Racing now. <laughs> but just in case, Kev, we just decide to keep listing games. How about we end it there? I think that's fair enough. We've we've had a good run. Thank you so much for everyone dialing into these these two old men talking about their Nintendo sixty fours. I hope you join us next time on Halo hey Listen, where we will talk about something more current. What are we doing again next time, Kev? We're doing. Um... I think we're doing the NES, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're doing 1983, uh, baby. We're doing VR, or whatever, whatever the kids are playing, or RTX. What's that again? Is that if that's something, right? Like ray tracing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, cover, <laughs> we're covering said, the concept of ray tracing next time. I just said letters, and I hope it was like this is current, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, to reiterate, thank you so much for joining. My name was Liam Shu, and I was joined here by Kevin O'Carroll, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye.